The text for the message this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, and we'll read that together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. It's page 996 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have a who have loved his appearing. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, though the Bible is clear that God made us to serve him and, and our neighbor in God-honoring worship and family and relationships and work, sometimes it happens in our lives that we lose sight of the reason why God created us what he wants us to do with our time here on the earth. As we read some of the words of the Apostle Paul, before his blood was poured out as a martyr, it makes us wonder about what he wants us to do with our time, what, what we will look back on when we're on our deathbeds. What are we doing today that we will look back on on our deathbeds and what will we think of those things that we're doing today? Will we, will we be able to see that we have done things that fit in with our, our mission and task on the earth? Will we be among the faithful Christians who, like Paul, were confident and calm in the face of death? But we treasure the last words of loved ones because they reveal how they were feeling as they were dying, but also because they give us direction about what things in our lives are important. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul understood that faithful leadership in the church was important. And so in one of his last acts, he, he took time to to write to a young evangelist, Timothy, to urge him and, and all church leaders with a special charge to imitate the ministry of Paul in their lives. You could see that passing on of the torch between verses 5 and 6 when, when Paul says, as for you, and then he explains why he gives this charge in verse 6. He says, for I am already being poured out. Yet at the same time, as Paul is saying these things to, to leaders, Paul is ultimately re revealing his concern for the church, his concern for, for all believers. He's showing that it is his urgent desire to see everyone who converted to Christ persevering in their faiths, in their faith until their own deaths. Young Christians and new Christians and veteran Christians alike 
must have a clear understanding of, of what it means to follow Jesus Christ our Lord, but also to see how gracious our God is, how powerful He is to help us persevere in the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. And I preach you this gospel under the theme that God carries believers through the struggle to the crown. We'll see the the struggle that God brings us into and the crown that God gives to us. The description of God's work in the world through his servants that we read in our text, they all include this underlying theme of, of a struggle. We read of enduring suffering, of fighting, of, of completing a race or a course. Since the sinful nature inclines people's hearts towards evil and against God, everyone whose heart is corrected by the Spirit and redirected back to the way it should be looking toward God, you will find that there is now resistance. There's friction in our daily lives. That means when we publicly profess our faith, like Judy is doing today, we are telling the world with God and His church as our witnesses that we are willing to fight on God's side in the spiritual battle that we are in. Ever since the fall into sin, that's what it means to follow Christ. In the apostles' last words of charge to his son Timothy, in verses chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, they serve as instruction to all leaders in the church who are in this struggle. It starts as instruction for, for leaders. Paul says, but as for you, and he's making a, a contrast between Timothy the evangelist and, and the other kinds of teachers he had been talking about. But he also points then to every leader in the church who wants to walk in the line of the apostles and not with false teachers. The charge given to Timothy in his unique task and calling at a certain time in the history of redemption shows all leaders that as they persistently preach the gospel, they also ought to be, says the text, sober-minded, brave and persistent, enduring suffering. They must be continually focused on the tasks that God has given them to do. Make sure that task gets done. Fulfill your ministry. The special command we read also to to do the work of an evangelist there in verse 5 means to announce the gospel to unbelievers. It shows that the Holy Spirit wants His church to continue to evangelize even if they are in a more settled church situation like Timothy was, as opposed to Philip's situation in Acts 8. The specific charge that the apostle gives, the Holy Spirit gives to to the leaders of the church has consequences for everyone. We can now think about what those consequences for us are. The first thing we can see is that the apostles' instructions to Timothy teach every one of us what kinds of things we should be praying for, for our leaders. We're, we're praying that they may be 
sober-minded, that they may endure in suffering, that they may love evangelism, that they may be faithful in their, their ministry. In the second place, these commands to Timothy and leaders, they include the, the entire congregation because in order for them to do that work, they need the support of every one of us to preach and to evangelize. That really is a task of an entire congregation and not just a few people. In addition to this, everything that the Spirit tells Timothy to pursue in his life are things that the Lord wants to, to see in all his congregation. He is bringing these same things to every believer through the leaders he ordains. Leaders who are commanded to be sober-minded will seek to lead the people they care for to have that same balance, that same discernment, that same control of their emotions rather than being impulsive and merely reactive. If the Holy Spirit tells the leaders to endure suffering, it's because he wants all Christians to stand firm in their trials without letting hardships crush their spirit, without trying to, to flee from hardships by denying the faith. And finally, although we are not all called to serve in the special offices, we have other ways that each one of us are called to serve in God's kingdom. The word ministry in verse 5 means service. And so it is a word that connects to the core mandate that God has given to every person he has created. As Timothy was told to fulfill his ministry, so God wants each one of us to fulfill our task and calling. We're all called to complete what the Good Shepherd has called us to do. As we think about our task, we think about what that might take. For Paul, that took pouring out his life like a drink offering. So he describes it. He, he makes a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial service where that was a, a sign of a complete offering of thanksgiving, a complete, an offering of, of one's complete being to the Lord in service. The idea of pouring out one's blood for the kingdom, which for Paul was, was literal, also helps each one of us to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ, what he may call us to. And so we find great comfort in the confidence of Paul, even as he's, he's just about to be finally poured out, where he can look at his life and he can point to things that assure him of the victory of Jesus Christ in his life. Paul points to, to marks of Christ's victory that are evident in his life just before he, he dies. He looks back and, and he says, you can see that, that I, I am in Christ and he is in me because I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. And that's what the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of everyone who follows Jesus Christ. Paul gives these things not as an imperative, but as a description. He's describing what God does in our hearts. And it's a word of great encouragement. Believers can trust that God will help them to 
fight the good fight. The fight language refers to both military and athletic context where there is a, a struggle that challenges our strength and endurance. We face this struggle when we try to, to work or to get married and, and have children or, or to serve the Lord in our singleness in a world that is under a curse that promises sweat and pain. Now this fight's going to look very different from one person to another because some are like Timothy who are young, who are brought up in the scriptures by a Jewish mother, who have an unbelieving father, who are dealing with stomach problems, while others have very different lives. Every one of us has a different calling. But you can be sure that it will be a challenge to live in this world as a Christian until Christ returns. However, since our team has already won when Christ destroyed sin and the devil, and since the Holy Spirit is in our hearts, was sent from the King to, to dwell in us, to carry us through that remaining resistance from the defeated enemy, we will find that by God's grace, we too will have the strength to arrive at our promised land. We too will be able to say what Paul has said, I have fought the good fight. We might feel overwhelmed by the demands of our mission to, to raise up these, these wonderful little children that God may give to us. But we will persevere through the pain. We might not feel like facing the ridicule of co-workers another day just because we are Christians. But we will not turn away from, what, from doing what, what honors the Lord. We might get knocked down, but God will lift us up again until Christ returns and we might bow before him as our only Lord. And as Paul marveled from his prison cell at God's mercy in allowing him to complete the task he had received in spite of all the kinds of danger and, and opposition that he had, he had faced, he wants us to know that God is able to help everyone that he has set on that Christian course of life to finish the race. He will complete what he started in our hearts, Philippians 1, verse 6. When we compare these words of Paul in verse 6 about finishing the race, or verse 7, to finishing the race to what he says in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 8, where he equates finishing the race with, with completing the task he had received, we see that Paul's focus is on accomplishing the work that the Lord has given us to do. That's what God promises to do in your hearts. He will help you to complete your task. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that by ensuring that we stay focused on the destination already at the beginning of the run. So we run in a way that obtains the prize like we read in 1 Corinthians 9. Let me see why it's so important as we sang together in Psalm 111 to, to keep the, the compass and, and, and the light of the scriptures open before us every day of our lives. That's a part of the strategy of those who, who complete the race. 
You see how your King Jesus Christ is equipping you to, to, to walk in Him. God doesn't bring us through suffering in this life for His own entertainment and as if He were setting hamsters in, a, in an obstacle course just for fun. God doesn't put us in the struggle for no reason at all. But He has called us to, to follow Him, to, to walk in His way because of His love from all eternity and His desire to be with us forever. And so He commands us, in spite of everything, keep the faith. He keeps us in the faith. And that faith that Paul talks about, it's the body of, body of teaching given to us in the Scriptures which reveal the, the outpouring love of our triune God. To keep the faith not only refers to continually believing this truth, but also to preserving sound doctrine in the church where it's passed on to the next generation. The promise of our text experienced by Paul is that God will not permit his elect to be lost, but he will always renew them to repentance. And as a result, you can be sure that every one of God's children will rejoice when the last drop of their thanksgiving drink offering life is poured out and they may face their creator like Paul, confident and calm and unafraid. Sometimes when we face another stack of bills to pay, Seems disconnected from Paul's words. Here we are in our house and the reality is there's, there's more bills to pay. Or sometimes when we're sitting at, sitting at home and our body is aching and, and we're thinking about the only things that we don't like about our vocation, our job that we have to go to. Sometimes when we're faced from those temptations to sin that come from our left or from our right, maybe late at night, Sometimes when we're disappointed with ourselves because of our own personal limitations or physical limita limitations, hardships from others, mental disorders, it can be very difficult, brothers and sisters, to see what this life is all about. Why are we here? What's, what's our task? What's our assignment from God? When you are feeling weary, when you have been knocked down, when you are discouraged, when you have been hurt by others and can't figure out how to respond, well, remember that the fight you are in, that struggle, it's a good fight because you are engaged in service to the Creator who has sent eternal salvation. And the race that you are in, it's, it's really it's a divine mission from your heavenly Father who loves you. It has a God-honoring purpose, even though we may not always know what it is. The faith you are growing in and, and passing on to others, that faith is the truth. And everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ will enter into glory just as he did. And then you will see 
that the Lord brought every member of Christ's church through the struggle with, with a glorious purpose so that we might receive the crown that's laid up for us. You see that in the second point. All the imagery that Paul used to speak of the Christian life reveals that history is linear, that it has a, a beginning point and a center point on the cross and a, and a goal or, or a destination. And when the Son of God, he, he entered into our fallen world in his incarnation, he defeated the last enemy of mankind, which is death, and he made it possible for everyone who believes in him to continue to serve the Lord even after we die. This is why Paul can describe the day of his death as the day of his departure. And he uses a word that does not indicate an end to his existence. But he uses a word that talks about loosing ties or, or separating from this temporal world. The good news is that all those religions that talk about reincarnation and, and never escaping but always returning to the earth in a form that either honors or punishes you for how you treated others, all those teachings are wrong. There is ongoing life after our bodies die. With the hope of the the Soren family right now as we reflect on the passing away of our sister Alice. And there's hope, there's life after we die, not just for Paul, he says, but for all those who love his appearing. And when he says that, that right away makes us think, are, are we among those who love his appearing? Are we looking forward to the day of vindication when all God's enemies will be put under his feet and, and his son Jesus Christ will rule in righteousness? Are we praying that, that Jesus Christ may come soon in, in glory that we might see the fullness of his kingdom as we wait in hope and expectation for the fulfillment of all the promises of God? You longing for that day when his name will be rightly honored and praised by all the citizens of, of the kingdom that fills heaven and earth. Well, Christians who have completed the course that God set out for them, they can know that they do not have to go back into the struggle. Rather, when you cross the finish line, as it were, you will receive a very special award from the Lord, the righteous judge. The Holy Spirit reveals that, that just like the, the Champions League cup that was standing waiting on a table so that it might be handed out to the winning soccer team, Bayern Munich this year, but the Lord has reserved a crown. It, it's standing there, it, it's waiting to be given to those who complete the race. He will give it to everyone who remains faithful through the struggle of life. We are given a picture in our text of, of the Lord uh, as a reference to the, the Christ in his glory, recognizing all those who, who loved his appearing, now coming into his presence on that day, that judgment day. And he is a, a righteous judge, which means that he is upright in his calling. He will not make a mistake in his judgments. If, if he is your Lord and Savior, 
as you, as you come into his presence, you will also know that that judge has paid the ransom for your life and he has promised to go ahead into heaven to prepare a place for you. And when the Lord appears and when you appear before the Lord, he will have a crown in his hands and you will know that it had been laid up for a long time specifically for you. Notice how many times Paul says, for me and to me in our text. He's quite emphatic that the prize is something that was laid up for him as a personalized gift that was prepared beforehand with Paul in his mind. The point is that God knows beforehand who will complete the tasks he gives because he chose them for before the foundation of the world with this very goal. And he himself carries them through all the struggles in their life. He knows you will reach the destination. We fight the good fight because God has chosen us for this purpose. We complete the race because we do it in the power of God who wants us to complete the race. We keep the faith because God is merciful to us. And we receive the crown of righteousness because of God's grace to us throughout our life because of the work of Jesus Christ. Not because we earned it, but by his grace. And so the Holy Spirit promises every person who longs for Christ's appearing that our Lord will crown our heads with righteousness by picturing righteousness as a crown that is placed on our heads by the very Lord who saved us, the Holy Spirit makes it very clear that, that righteousness is a gift that is conferred upon us. And just as the crown of, of life means that we are alive for et eternity, and just as that crown of imperishability in 1 Corinthians 9 means that we will be imperishable, so also the crown of righteousness means that we will be holy and obedient in God's eyes, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. God himself will bring you that gift that you longed for all your life. We can experience that promise already now, that hope already now. Although some of us, like Judy here this morning, did not know it until just a short time ago, that promise is the same for everyone who loves Christ's appearing. There is a crown of righteousness with your name on it in the hands of your Savior and your judge, Jesus Christ. He will give it to you after God has helped you to keep the faith, even in the small things in, in your life, to fulfill your ministry, to shine as lights, in the midst of all the struggles and the unbelief in the world. So as we walk on that course of life, brothers and sisters, you can have your hands open to receive the gift, the crown of righteousness as we pray together for the coming of our Lord Jesus. Amen.